And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Cowboys to receive it. And Turpin will take this one out just in front of the goal line. Finds a crease. Turpin now with some space. Gets past Hopkins. Turpin is past midfield. He's got daylight in front of him. Can anybody track him down? No, they can't. Gavante Turpin, 98 yards to the house. Is it high? It is far, and Turpin makes one man miss. Let's see what kind of magic he has again. Turpin, Chitterbug, Turpin, can he do it again? Devontae Turpin, gone. Touchdown, Cowboys, 72 yards. And the only thing else I got to say is, how about them, Cowboys? How about them, Cowboys, indeed. One more preseason game to break down as we inch ever closer to week one of the 2022 Cowboys season. Welcome back in to the About Them Cowboys podcast on The Athletic. I'm Kent producing. KT is gone. He's on vacation. I think Dave Matthews must be up to something because it's the only real thing that gets KT away these days is... Dave Matthews, maybe the killers, maybe seeing the killers, but I think he's trying to get one more vacation in before the season. I don't blame him, but I'm joined by two of the best of the best when it comes to breaking down all things Dallas Cowboys. From Fox Sports, it's David Hellman, Tiny Jim, underscore, and of course, Father John Mishota from The Athletic. Boys, so much to talk about, but uh, I think we should just start with... Cavante Turpin, John. Yeah, man. I go into that game. I'm thinking this is going to be just another boring preseason game. Where you're not going to really see very much of players that are going to matter on Sundays. And then you see. So I feel like with Cavante Turpin, I feel like there's times in practice that he has shown some of this ability. And even in the previous preseason game, I didn't think that he would put it on display like he did in this game to where you're literally like, yeah, go ahead and take your shoulder pads and your helmet off. You don't need to play anymore. Um, that's just, it's, here's the thing too. It's like on special teams, like to have a, a punt return touchdown and a kickoff return touchdown. It's crazy in, in preseason if you're playing against all backups, but like, a lot of guys playing at special teams or guys are going to be playing special teams during the regular season. So I don't know that he was just taking advantage of just, you know, some guys that won't be on NFL rosters. It just everything that he showed in there, whether it would be his just speed, uh, some of the moves he used on the punt return. Uh, I, I just I, 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 I don't want to sit here and say that the, that the Cowboys have a chance to be the 2006 Bears with Devin Hester. But you at least think with Cavante Turpin, like they have a chance to like hit some home runs in the return game. And if you have a game like that, or even just maybe one of those returns in, a, in an NFL game, that significantly increases your chances of winning that game. I mean, they literally have a guy that if he can pull this off during the regular season, he could steal a game or two for them. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about it a lot, honestly, since Saturday is the last time we did this show. We were talking about how I I didn't put Turpin on my 53 and Mishota did. And he was like, wow, Dave, you're a real gd idiot like what are you even thinking uh which yeah i dead wrong i was very wrong about that i think i mean there's no there's no way you don't keep Cavante turpin on your 53 after what he did on saturday and more maybe not more importantly but something that gets lost behind the two return touchdowns is they did use him on offense they let him take a little you know end around uh handoff seven yard gain wasn't the craziest thing you've ever seen um, but I think that emphasizes how you keep him on the roster because a guy that purely does special teams is hard to justify getting a uniform on game day. But you put that speed on the field half a dozen times a game, whether it's as a runner, a decoy, or a guy that can just like go deep. Um, he clearly has that type of speed that defenses have to account for 
Uh, so I thought that was important, not just him showing his ability as a special teamer, uh, but you kind of got a very quick glimpse of how he can be useful to this team on offense as well. And yeah, I mean, like I said, I he returned the first one and I kind of like I felt stupid. I was like, yeah, Dave, you really should have put him on your 53. And then like a half hour later, I was like, geez, like get him out of the game. It was at the it. I mean, it was at the point for me, like you could have taken him out after the first kickoff return <laughs> touchdown. It was, I mean, that was one of the more impressive preseason performances I've ever watched. I said, I mean, that was the most fun Cowboys preseason game since Dak Prescott against the Rams in 2016. Like, cause like all preseason football is kind of boring, but the Cowboys are very good at playing awful, horrendous, no fun preseason games. So, uh, to, to see him score 30 points and have Turpin break out like that, it's about as much fun as I've had watching this team in the preseason in six or seven years. On the kickoff return, I could see how some people would just be like, oh, you know, he just used his speed. He really didn't have to break any tackles or, or any crazy moves or anything like that. And it just, okay, it's preseason, whatever. But the punt return to me oh. was the one that just took it to another level because of the fact of, I mean, he had to avoid four or five tackles immediately, then get to the outside and, and avoid another two, and then and then to just break that off the way he did. I, I just there's a lot of stuff that you watch in the preseason and you find yourself being like, ah, would that work in the, like in the regular season when all the starters are out there and all the guys that matter? Are, is he going to be able to do something like that? There's there's no question to me that everything he showed in that game, you you could see him doing that on Sundays. Yeah, the uh, the way the you know on the punt return he he fielded the ball and immediately the moment the ball was in his hands he kind of did like a frogger jump backward to get away from a tackler uh, and then yeah the the way that he just sort of danced his way past his first three um, blocks like it, I mean, it was it was a very impressive level of like instinct and, and agility. And then obviously the, the straight line speed speaks for itself. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the punt return in particular was, was really, really impressive. Yeah. I know Mike McCarthy and the coaching staff after the game, they're like, yeah, he, he'll probably, you know, wink, wink be uh, our return guy. But he got to the point at TCU where this guy was so dynamic that they just needed to get the ball in 25's hands however they could. They were throwing screens to him. They were throwing reverses to him. I mean, it was like just get the ball to 25 was their game plan a lot of the times. And I think the Cowboys will figure out pretty quickly. It's like, hey, we can put this guy anywhere and he's going to make plays. He's got pure just speed, agility, and vision to the end zone. I mean, that's really the three things he brings to the table. He might not be the biggest guy, might not be the strongest guy, might not be the tallest guy. Might not be able to bully guys at the you know line of scrimmage, but this guy is a playmaker. And that kind of that plays into my point. You know, I I don't see Cavante Turpin being a regular part of their eleven personnel. You know, like he's not going to be one of their regular three receivers unless everybody gets hurt. But in addition to what he can do on special teams, Kellen Moore should easily be able to draw up a dozen opportunities or, you know, eight, eight to 10 opportunities a game for him to come onto the field. And like I said, like, even if he's not getting the ball, that speed has to be respected as even as a decoy. And that should make things easier on every other member of that offense. You want to uh, go down any other positives from that game? Any, uh, anything else that stood out to you? I, Cause I was going to name a few players. If you guys care. Yeah, to do absolutely. That What's on the list of positives for you, John? Well, next up for me is probably Jake Ferguson. I guess because it took Dalton Schultz a couple of years before he kind of came into his own. I was thinking that maybe this might be a couple of years for Ferguson. Well, there's no question Ferguson can be a factor immediately. Uh, he might be their second best tight end. He might have jumped uh, Sean McCune for that for that spot. I, I just every time I see him play, I just see more and more a type of guy that, as Jason Garrett would say, the moment doesn't look like it's too big for him. He just, anytime he gets an opportunity, it seems like he's just every, I don't know. It's just like one of those deals where you're like, how does this guy fall to the fourth round? You know, a tight end that can block and, and, and seems to be a pretty sure handed, you know, pass catcher. I, I, every time I see him, I just, I don't know. I'm a little bit more impressed by him. 
The funny thing is, yeah, the he he's all about the moment, man. I think we talked about it last week. Same same story. Like I could not tell you more than one or two things that Jake Ferguson has done in practice. Like not to say that he's been bad, but he just hasn't featured the way that he has in these games. And even he had a nice game against Denver. And then we go to Orange County and they practice the Chargers a couple times. And like, I don't remember him really doing anything in those practices. Uh, and then he goes to the game and has another great night. Like he just shows up on game day, which is a lot of fun. And yeah, I mean, uh, I'll be I'll be curious. Like, I, I still think McCune has a shot at that job. But I mean, it really it looks like they have a pretty rock solid three, though. I think that's why you see people. Uh, kind of talking about Jeremy Sprinkle's job security. You know, is is that a guy that they need to keep around, especially with some of the other decisions that they have to make? So I'm with you. Like, I, I, I thought Ferguson might be more of a slow burn. Like, maybe it would take him some time, but it, it maybe that's not the case. Another guy from that class, Deron Bland, same thing. You know, not necessarily – these big takeaways that everybody's going to notice immediately, but he just seems to always be in the right position. He seems very solid. He seems like a guy that can come in right away. You can trust him. If let's say Jordan Lewis isn't ready to go to start the season, or let's say Jordan Lewis uh, has a setback or something, you could see Jerron Bland getting in that mix there. So he was another one of the defensive backs. And then the other one would be Israel McQuamu. Again, not a guy that you're going to say, Hey, he's a starter week one, but there's injuries that happen, and it just seems like the jump he's taking from year one to year two, you would have to feel pretty confident if you had to put him out on the field as well. I I wrote about both of the safeties for Fox Sports yesterday. Uh, I thought, I mean, McQuamu, obviously. Marquise Bell also had another really nice game. I think he was second on the team in tackles. Um, and I think that's a, a good point, John, is, I mean – we don't know for sure how good these guys are in a regular season context. Uh, I'm not trying to say that they're ready to like start, but Dan Quinn seems to have found two guys that have a chance of being that Jaron Curse type of player, just in the sense that uh, Mukwamu specifically because of his background as a corner, but like he can cover pretty well. Uh, they 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 have the length to be used as those matchup type of guys, and then both of them are are very willing tacklers. I talked to, uh, I talked to McQuamu about that after the game. I was like, did you kind of have to learn a willingness to tackle seeing as how you're not asked to do it very often at cornerback. And he talked about the adjustment there of like, yeah, I mean, it's a different world being in the box. You have to be way more willing to tackle. You have to kind of want to stick your nose in there. And he looks really good at it. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know how you don't have both of them on your 53 either, which is, crazy to look at the safety depth chart and be like, man, I feel pretty good about all five of these guys. Tristan Hill, somebody else that I wanted to mention from that game, just because you can say it's only one play that stood out, but that play, the strip sack, the recovery, that's what you were hoping you were getting a couple years ago when they drafted him. If he's finally putting it together, which it looks like he is, I think that could be a huge piece there too, because when you like we were talking earlier about the 53 when you're trimming down that defensive line that for me has been the toughest group because there's a good 12 guys there uh that I can see them keeping on the roster I don't necessarily think that they'll do that but Tristan Hill to me uh, he's a guy that in the offseason you could sit there and say I don't know if he's going to necessarily be on the roster for sure he has to play well I don't see how you don't keep him on the roster I love stories like that I I thank you John I feel smart I wrote about him too um I love stories like that because, yeah, like all offseason, it's like, well, Tristan Hill needs to have a great camp or he's going to find his way out of town. Like this really feels like it could be it for him. Uh, and and people are talking about how maybe you dangle him as trade bait. And I guess they, they still could do that. Um, but he's kind of he's kind of answered the haters, I guess. Like in addition to having a really great game, I just I think he's had a really nice camp like you've seen him flash consistently across these practices, whether it's a tackle for a loss against a running back or getting pressure on the quarterback, getting sacks in practice. Um, I think he's, he's been pretty damn good throughout this entire camp. So it was, it was cool to see him take that to a game and really kind of 
put it on a stage where people are more likely to notice it. The last one is that backup, not even backup. It's more like a third string running back situation because through these two preseason games, Malik Davis has shown and flashed why, oh, that's why this team, his name was mentioned with them after the draft because he was one of their visitors. You kind of saw that connection there and he's been impressive. The reason I just left that to, to the end is because whether you keep him, whether it's him versus Dowdle for that third spot, I just don't see very much impact by that third running back in this offense this season. We saw last year that Ezekiel Elliott had a pretty noticeable knee injury and didn't miss any time and played through it. Tony Pollard had a pretty noticeable foot injury and played through it, and that's just how it's going to go. There's just only so many snaps that are there for you to have impactful reps at running back when you already have Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard ahead of you on the depth chart. So I don't know how much of an impact either Dowdle or Malik Davis would make, but you are seeing enough in these preseason games that those are players that deserve to certainly be on rosters. Absolutely. Yeah, I I don't know what to do with that either just because – Rico might have a leg up in ways that are harder to see, you know, like Rico has been on the team since 20. He made the team as an undrafted free agent in 20. He can do some special team stuff. He served as a kick returner. So maybe you can use him in that regard. Maybe the coaches trust that he understands the playbook or pass pro better than Davis. Uh, So like I said, I just, it's hard to gauge every way that you evaluate that competition, but Purely as a running back, man, Malik Malik Davis is so impressive. I act, I was talking to Will McClay about him in the locker room after the game. I was just like, you know, I know running, I know you can find running backs everywhere, but like, why, really, why did this guy have so small of a role at Florida? Like, he never had a 100 carry season at UF, and he was there for five years. I mean, I know they had other good players, but that's crazy to me. Like, he just he does not get tackled. He is very fun to watch. Um, it is, and but yeah, to your point, I, I don't know how much this team really needs its third running back. Um, that's one of those ones where like I could see us hyping this whole thing up at the like all the way through, and then you know he's still a running back, so he still gets cut. And even it wouldn't shock me to see him on the practice squad, honestly, just because I think most teams have a guy like him in camp. Uh, we just happen to watch this team, um, but he's, I mean. He's had a phenomenal preseason as well. I really, I hope for his sake that he earns a roster spot either here or somebody else notices because he uh, he's definitely played deservingly of that. The last thing, kind of a combo package here. The reason I'm leaving this one at the very end is because of the fact that I don't think that we saw much separation out of either of these, and that would be the backup quarterback job and then the kicker job. I don't think there was much that happened on Saturday night that made me change the way I feel. I still think Cooper Rush is the backup. I think Will Greer has to have a very good game on Friday against Seattle for him to overtake Cooper. Uh, And then at kicker, yeah, Brett Maher missed the 61-yarder, but I don't know that that's the, oh, you missed that. We're not going to have you on the team. So I think that competition's still close. I think I'm leaning Maher there if I had to pick right now. How are you feeling about backup quarterback and, and kicker? Uh, I agree. I, it's it's not a big enough sample size for me to think that Will Greer is going to take that job. Um, but I was very encouraged that Will Greer came out and played the way that we've seen him play in practice. He didn't look like a different guy. He got out there and started zinging the ball around. Like his first throw, he zipped it to Ferguson. That was the, the big game that Ferguson had where he kind of juked two or three tacklers. Uh, and then – the throws that he made to Brandon Smith and Semi Fehoko, the Semi Fehoko one in particular, like there were two DBs crashing on that throw, and it, it looked like a dangerous throw to me in the press box. Not like I've not that I've ever played quarterback, and I asked Greer about it after the game, and he was like, "Oh no, like I, I saw that all the way. I knew that was going to be fine." I, I just I I admire the guy's moxie. He's not afraid to cut it in there, and uh, so it was fun to see him play that way in a game. Uh, when everybody's watching. So, yeah, I don't, I, I haven't seen enough that it makes me think he would overtake Rush. Um, mainly, again, I think we talked about this last week, mainly because Rush went into the regular season and did it last year. And I just think that carries a lot of weight. But I do think 
I really, I really don't think I'll be surprised if they just keep all three quarterbacks, honestly. Um, so we'll see what happens Friday. And then Nina, with kicker, oh. Dak, Rush, don't, and Danucci. Don't, don't do or, this. I, I already know. I just don't. <laughs> John's like, no more Danucci. <laughs> I've just seen these games, okay? I knew I knew I was going to I was going to no, in. I was going to ask if you if if Greer still had practice squad eligibility, if you could um, keep keep those three should. guys. He get rid of Danucci should. and have uh, have Greer around as your scout team quarterback. I feel like that would be a pretty good look. Um how long has Greer been in the league? He got here in like 2019, I think. I don't yeah. think that matters anymore. Does it not matter how many accrued? They did change it. I don't, think it. I don't think it does because I think they expanded it to like whatever sixteen, yeah. and I don't think that they that matters anymore. I think anybody can be on a practice squad now. Fair so that's good. Um, one one quick thing though, you mentioned about that the Simi Foco play. I mean, props to Simi though too. He jumped and came oh, back yeah. towards the ball, no. and really, as good as he's been through through training camp and what we've seen in the preseason. What he did on that play, I think, is the thing that he's been doing that has stood out the most, and that's just being physical and just having a presence in traffic to use his size uh, and just has been really sure-handed, and I thought that all kind of stood out in that play too. Absolutely. Yeah, he's he's done an excellent job of using his frame to his advantage, which I don't think he always did last year. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Um, it'll be interesting – you can always you can always kind of read the tea leaves based on how a team plays its quarterbacks in the last preseason game. Like I could go ahead and say I'm pretty damn confident Dak's not going to play in that game either. Like I just don't think Dak's going to play in the preseason, especially with having the three joint practices to kind of use that as a game tune-up. So now keep an eye on the usage. Like if Cooper Rush doesn't do a lot of work in that game – it's probably a fair bet that they feel good about him. And then how much time does Will Greer get? And then if they really do want to get a true evaluation of Greer and Rush, maybe they don't let Danucci play at all. Because at this point, like, you know, Danucci's not going to make the 53. Uh, so if they really want to get a better look at Greer, I could see them letting him play for like three quarters um, rather than just throw Danucci out there knowing that they're not going to keep him on the roster. So, that's something to watch on Friday. Um, no, kicker, I, I have nothing informative to say about kicker other than one thing I did think about is they let both of those guys kick off on Saturday. And, I mean, like, Danucci's got the <laughs> – Danucci, Jesus. Uh, Can he kick? Or? Maybe. Honestly, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, Maher's obviously got the much stronger leg. Uh, you know, he he got all three of his kicks to the end zone. Liram Hirolahu, he did get backed up by a penalty on one of them, but two of his three kicks were short of the end zone. And again, we don't know. Maybe that was by design. Maybe they wanted him to give the return team a look. But uh, it's fairly obvious to me that Maher has the stronger leg. I don't think they would have asked Hirolahu to even try a 61-yard kick. Um so that so I I lean toward Maher mainly because of that, but we'll see. Oh hey, I lied. There is one more thing. I feel very confident that they're in trouble if they think that they're not going to add a veteran offensive tackle. Oh oh I well okay yeah let's talk about that. But then I think you could I think you can say the same thing about receiver honestly. Uh, but I guess we've known that I'm w- I'm I'm way more nervous about offensive tackle. Dude. And the reason why I say that is because it's not 2013 where I'm I'm very confident I'm getting, you know, a full season out of Tyron Smith. Um, the Josh Ball does not look ready for that role. You, you know, well, let's go isn't coming back anytime soon. And, and, and why would you think, well, let's go is going to be have much more success than ball if he's not getting any snaps at all. And then all of a sudden he's going to come back off of this shoulder injury. So I don't know where you'd be counting on that. This swing tackle thing is not just a backup thing. This is a player you're going to need on Sundays. And I don't think they have that player on this team. I, I'll, I mean, I'll never forget when Jerry said on Saturday of the draft that they were set at offensive tackle after drafting. Well, let's go to go with Josh ball. I remember like I did the blinking guy meme. I was like, did he just say what I think he said? Like, he's fine with this. 
And I thought it was completely insane then. And it has, and, and it looks exactly how I thought it would look like. I cannot imagine uh, how you go into this season with Josh Ball as your number three, knowing that Tyron Smith is likely to miss a handful of games or at, or at least one or two in a best case scenario like that. No, I don't, I don't see how you do that. And that's, yeah, I've been saying it all camp and I'll just be, I'll be stunned if they don't find a way to go get a guy, whether that's again, that's, Maybe you could trade somebody like a Tristan Hill for a better swing tackle, or you know, there's there's four or five veteran tackles who are just kind of sitting around, not at camp right now. Maybe you go sign one of them when when camp is over. But what they have doesn't look like something that's going to cut it. Yeah, see, with wide receiver, you got at least CD Lamb. I actually feel probably better about Dennis Houston than maybe fans do. Uh, I think Simi can work in there. I think Noah Brown can work in there. I think there's enough there with Schultz and then Ferguson, Tony Pollard, handful of plays for Cavante Turpin, Zeke. It's not the greatest. It's not as good as it was last year, obviously. I just, that seems a lot better to me than what's going on at offensive tackle. You said a lot of names right there without mentioning the guy that's supposed to do some heavy lifting this year. I just haven't. I'm, I'm just. No, I, I'm no, trying to be no, realistic here. You, you, you put no, him. No, no. You say anything about him that's negative, and people are like, "Well, he's only a rookie." Yeah, I understand that, and I do think he's going to be a good player. But what I've seen from Jalen Tolbert right now, I can't just assume that he's going to be ready to contribute when the lights totally. are on. Like, no, I, I, like they're going to throw to him, but I don't know. Like the the back of the end zone on Saturday, you got to get both those feet down in the NFL. You just have to. You have to. If, if you're going to be counted on week one against Tampa Bay, week two against Cincinnati, you have to get your both feet down. Uh, the the one ball that that Cooper rushed through to him, that it wasn't the greatest to throw. It was a little bit behind him. That's just a catch that he has to make. That just it has to happen. If you're going to on Sundays, it has to happen. I completely agree with you. I didn't. I wasn't trying to say like, oh, don't forget about Turpin. I was saying it's very troubling that Jalen Tolbert doesn't look like he's ready. And that's not to say he can't get there. I'm not like writing off his career, but this is what I was worried about in the spring when the Cowboys insisted that they were good there too. It was like, you have awfully high expectations for a guy that hung around to pick 81. You know, I mean, Michael Gallup was pick 88 and he had a very up and down, inconsistent rookie year. It's just kind of the nature of the business unless you go get, a CD lamb or a Jamar chase in the first round. Um, so yeah, like it's, it's not to say that it was a bad pick or anything, but he just looked like a guy that's going to need some seasoning before he becomes a game in game out contributor. And that's scary. Cause like it, in a world where Jalen Tolbert, hits the ground running and is just ready to go from the get. You're like, okay, we got lamb. We got Tolbert. We got Schultz like that. We can work with that. Now, if you can't really lean on Tolbert, then you're just cobbling something together with a bunch of guys who have never really done it before. And Noah Brown has had a wonderful camp. Noah Brown's had a few wonderful camps at this point in his career. And so far, it hasn't really translated to the regular season. So, like, I'm not super trustworthy of that. Um yeah, I don't know how to feel about Dennis Houston, honestly. I mean, he again, he's had a fantastic camp. Dak really seems to like him. But what does that mean um, when it's a Pro Bowl cornerback? In you know, what, what about when Jalen Ramsey follows you across the formation in week five? You know, I don't know. Uh, so I just I look at it and there's not a there's not a whole lot that I feel great about outside of CD and Schultz right now. The Houston one with me is kind of like the Noah Brown thing. You're not going to be setting up to target them necessarily. It's the way the formation goes, the way that the defense is is attacking you, that they are in a position where they're the go they're the receiver that's the obvious choice on those routes. I'm not talking about force feeding them passes. I'm talking about them. They seem to have like obviously Noah Brown's been around for a while. He's seen a lot. Dennis Houston seems to have a little bit of a savviness of a veteran type thing where he just is in the right spots. I'm saying that you would go to them when maybe they're the second or third option, but they're clearly the best option on a given play. 
I, I certainly don't look at them as being guys that you would be drawing stuff up for, like you're right. hoping that Jalen Tolbert can be, that obviously C.D. Lamb is. So, yeah, I mean, granted, you certainly, this team, with the salary cap space they have, in a perfect world, you'd like them to not only add a veteran tackle, you'd like them to add another wide receiver. Um, and it's not great at wide receiver, don't get me wrong, but I just feel like it's it's in a better shape than I feel about offensive tackle right now. I, I do agree with that. Like, if you told me I if you told me I had to play a regular season game with either what they have at receiver or what they have at tackle, I'd be like, we gotta fix tackle over receiver easily. But um yeah, at the very least at the very least, I hope that they try to go find a more experienced receiver during uh during roster cuts. Maybe you can make a claim on a guy that's at least played in the regular season. Maybe that would be a step in the right direction. So maybe I'm being an idiot here. You can talk me in whatever direction you think I need to go. But there's part of me that is kind of excited for these practices at the start this week because of the fact that, to your point earlier, I don't think Dak and the starters are going to play in that in that third preseason, third and final preseason game. And so I feel like they're going to give them a lot of work just because you need to get work in. And so because of that, I just feel like they could be kind of entertaining practices because – yeah, of course, you're not going against the Chargers or the Broncos, but because they need the work and they're not going to be getting in the preseason game, I, I think there could be some good one-on-one, seven-on-seven opportunities, some good one-on-one matchups and, and some team drill, things like that, that, I don't know, it's like they're open to the fans. I think the fans might actually get to see more entertaining football potentially in these practices than they possibly could see in that preseason game. I hope you're right, uh, because just anecdotally, like my experience is like once we get back to Frisco, it always feels like camp ratchets down a notch or two, like the the competition, like, you know, the guys that have the guys that have made the team, they know they know where they're at. They know like they, it kind of feels like their attention turns toward week one and they're like, all right, let's let's start game planning for the Bucks. Let's not get anybody hurt in practice. Um so uh, that's been my experience, but you are right. Like, but what in the past have the starters played this little in the preseason? No, that, and then, that's that, what I was about. And then it's not, they're not having a regular season game until September 11th. Like you got to do something that's competitive between now and then. That's what I was about to say is like, it's, we haven't seen this little usage of the starters in the preseason before. Like this is new territory. Like for, and I'm not just talking about like Dak and Zeke, but like really, nobody that's expected to be a big timer in the regular season has played like a snap. Like even, you know, you used to see, you used to be able to count on like Tyron Smith and Zach Martin getting a series or two in like the first three games and that they haven't even played. So yeah, I think that that makes me think you might be right is like with so little preseason action for the starters, I wouldn't be surprised if McCarthy's like, no, like we gotta, we gotta go, especially. So you go hard this week. Um, yeah. So it's the 22nd. So you go hard this week and then the preseason ends on the 27th. Like you'll still have almost three freaking weeks. Like you'll have two whole weeks of recovery before you have to worry about a game. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me if McCarthy does decide to push them this week. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight? Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Ken, did you want to talk anything else about the current team? or Because I have something I wanted to talk about. Uh, maybe we can save it for the end of the show. I wanted to get into a little bit these uh, NFL Top 100 rankings that have come out recently. We okay, about yeah, briefly, let, so. let, let's, Ugh. we can go there. I saw Trevon Diggs was ranked very high on the list, 23. So I think the one that stands out most is that Dak is at 44. I don't think that that's terrible. The only they they've only gotten they've only released up to twenty one. So the only quarterbacks that are ahead of Dak are Justin Herbert is at forty, uh, Lamar Jackson's at thirty six. Uh, let's see who else is on here. Matthew Stafford twenty seven, Joe Burrow twenty one. I don't really have a problem with any of them being ranked ahead of Dak. No, I don't. I don't have an issue with that. Um, and yeah, like anybody else. So Rogers, Mahomes, Brady are all going to obviously be higher on the list. That's fine to me. Um, it's funny. to It's just, you know, you always you always argue about how quarterbacks rank just in terms of quarterback. Like, is he top six, eight, ten? So it's funny to think, like, just in the context of the entire NFL, where does that put you? And, yeah, yeah I mean, that's that's probably right. I mean, it's not an insult to say Dak Prescott is one of the 50 best players in football. That sounds fine to me. We, I, you groaned when I brought this up, so we can get out of it real quick. Um, oh no, it's th- no, because hey, I'm on the same level as you with this. There's a reason I brought it up, though. You, you don't like the, you don't like this list, John. I just I, just, I love yeah. If on. I trusted if I trusted that the list was done well, it would carry a lot more weight. I, just, I, I, I like, like the list. I mean, we've seen them in there polling the players. I mean, it's actual players yeah. filling, filling it out. What what we've don't you like seen, about it? We've We've seen them in there polling the players and the players like write down their teammates and guys they went to college with. Like I've seen guys write the most insane names in the top five and then or like they write until they get bored, which is usually then, top 15. <laughs> yeah, if they that. write it, they write until they get bored and give it back and they're like, I'm done with this. Like they are not sitting down and really being like, oh, I got this guy at 61, but it, no, that feels right. kind of low. Right. Like they're not, they're not doing that. But and so it's just like, it, it's, it, it would be fine. A, I wish, I wish they put more care into it. Honestly, like I would love to see, I would love to see it where like the player vote means a little bit. And then they ask some coaches and then some personnel guys, and then maybe even get some media involved and really try to have it be as empirical as possible. Or if they're going to do this half-baked shit, at the very least, you don't have to pump it out as this end-all, be-all thing. Like, the reason I groaned, honestly, is because I hate the fact that we as reporters are asked to aggregate this shit. It's like, oh, oh my God, did you see Trayvon's, like, 23? Like, we should probably write something about that. And I'm like, should we? Because he got voted 23 by a bunch of dudes who slap this thing together in 15 minutes b- before meetings started. Like, it's just, yeah. it's annoying. couple things here. Hey, would you feel better about it if this is media voting? If this is the top 100 football writers in America voting on it, would we feel better about the list? And can I pick the writers? <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, right. Don't hear like all I want. Don't let me pick the writers. Just tell me who they are. And then I'll tell ta- And then I'll if give you If we're going to have somebody vote on a, on a list, I feel like, I want the people that are actually playing against these guys, maybe judging who's better, this guy or this, you know, 
So right. that's why Teron Diggs, to me, being a top 25 player in the NFL, which I don't think any of us would have put him as a top 25 player in the entire league, uh, you know, maybe top 50 or something at this point. But it just shows you guys that have gone against him. Receivers have probably been like, man, that guy was tough. Got to put him up there, you know, and it, it also me, could be it also can be guys that haven't really seen him at all. But no, he got 11 interceptions and people just don't get 11 interceptions. And you played against him at Alabama. I don't know. I think the 11 interceptions is the key. I I tend to agree with John. I, I feel just, better I mean, about the list than if it's just a bunch of media guys like us voting on. Oh, Dak that's, is definitely that's the better classic, than Lamar Jackson. You know, like we don't. It's really the classic know. catch twenty two, man. Right. Look, I mean, I get it. I'm not like we don't we don't know what the hell we're talking about. Like I I understand what you're saying, but like the irony is, the media is not playing the games, but the players aren't paying attention to what's happening <laughs> outside of like their team and their division. So. Um, it's like I said, like, I would love to see a really well put together list where like you pull the players, you pull the coaches, you pull the front offices. Maybe there's like a media element to like break ties or something. I don't know. But like the way they, the way they do this just sucks right now. Um, they can't vote for themselves. Right. And I don't think they have to put a hundred names on there. I think they can just put like four names and they just count four, four votes or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, when you said that, though, about we're just like idiots or whatever, <laughs> all I thought of is that McCarthy quote about we're all just trying to rob the same we're runaway just, train. <laughs> just, it's the it's the smartest thing I've ever heard. Like he said that and I was like, wow, we really <laughs> yeah, are. It's my like, favorite quote of his for sure. I do appreciate that they moved it into the preseason and they're like getting it over with like they're doing 20 a day or whatever, it, whatever it is, because like back in the day they used to do it from like June until the start of training camp. And it felt like they did like 20 players a week. And so this thing dragged out for six freaking weeks. Here, I got the so quote. Would- here's, here's the quote, Dave, Mike McCarthy. We all have a job to do a purpose in this business. We're all trying to rob the same runaway train. It's awesome. The NFL. It really is. Like I am, where's, where's the line? I've never heard a quote that that hits more to my soul than that. I mean, that is just He said that to us and I was like, okay, at the very least this guy understands my job. Right. Like, that's all I like that's all I can ask. Um the reason I brought up the list though is because of these two individuals. So um over the week this past weekend, they released, I believe it is, let me make sure I got this right. It is from fifty to twenty-one. Forty-seven was Fred Warner, and 25 was Nick Bosa. And both of those guys were not on the field in the second half against the Cowboys of that playoff game. For anybody that wants to blame the refs, the, the poor clock management, and that when both of those guys are not on the field in the second half, you have to win that game at home. I'm sorry. Like, it does not come down to last seconds of games. When I saw both of those guys on there, I was like, oh, both of the guys that weren't on the field in the second half of a home playoff wildcard game. I just, I'm sorry. I just can't get past it when I saw that. Mm. It stings even more. Um, yeah. I mean, two top 50 yes. players in the NFL. Like, yep. when those guys aren't there, I'm sorry. You know, that's, you got to win that game. I do not uh, respect the opinion of anyone who thinks the Cowboys have anyone to blame but themselves for losing that game. Uh, yeah. I mean, what, what they wind up finishing with? 17 points? I don't have 17. I, yeah, I think they lost that game 23-17. 17 points against in a home playoff game for the number one offense in the league. And, I mean, they had they had everybody available to them that they could hope to have available. Yeah, I mean, miss me with that completely. Miss me with that. That's a good quote. So how were you able to cover the game with no Jumbotron? What was going on there, Dave? Okay, I'm gonna. Uh, you, if you want me to do my best Cowboys Homer impression for a minute, I'll just say this. I mean, SoFi Stadium. It's it's cool. It's a nice building. It is. It's impossibly large. Like I can't. You got to go there to really understand how big it is because, like, it's the only stadium I've ever been to where the actual stadium, like the seating where the field is it feels just like a small part of the overall building. Like that's how big the building is. There's so much going on just besides that, that, uh, that part of it. I mean, it, it takes up, it must take up like five city blocks, just like the tract of land where the stadium is. Um, 
anyway, so like it, it's it's big and impressive. Like for being the biggest, baddest, newest stadium on the block, it doesn't do that much for me, honestly. Like it's it's fine. Maybe I'm spoiled by covering so many games at AT&T Stadium, which if it's not the best, it's certainly one of the like three or four best stadiums in the league. But I've been to SoFi two or three times now, and I'm just like, I guess, man, I guess. And then the game starts, and the big cool Halo board and all of the ribbon boards go blank, and they did not get fixed until like halftime. Like you, you, I, I had to use my laptop to know like the down and distance because or, or other. The only place you could see the down and distance were the refs' chains. That was and. That was it. Uh, and and the field clocks with the play clock and the game clock were the only indicator of the situation. Um, it was a mess. And I'll be honest, like I said, I'm going to sound like a homer, but I was sitting up in the press box and I was like, if this had happened at AT&T, everybody would just there would be there would be a line to dunk on the Cowboys like there would be so many just Twitter would be. Twitter would shut down with the number of people that were trying to dunk on how, oh, AT&T, like, it's so special, but they can't even keep the lights on. Uh, but I didn't really see that happening at SoFi, and I was like, it's pretty ridiculous that the biggest, nicest stadium in the league doesn't have functioning scoreboards for half of a game. I mean, I know it's the preseason, but I'm sure a lot of the people that came to this game, this was their one opportunity to go because preseason tickets are cheaper than regular season tickets, so... I just I thought it was thought it was kind of silly. People would be dunking on AT&T Stadium because Jerry Jones is way more visible than anybody associated with the LA stadium. Uh it's not even really one team stadium. It's kind of the community stadium. Whoever whatever NFL whatever team wants to come play here, you're that's your home right now. There's no you don't really identify it with any one team. And the other the other thing I was going to say is when you talked about it not being as good as AT&T. I just don't like how the only openness you really have is very small parts of the end zone that it really doesn't even make it feel like it's outside. So if I'm ranking stadiums, I can see having other stadiums ahead of AT&T. Not many, but I could see a couple. But that's only when the stadium's closed. If everything's completely open at AT&T Stadium, I don't think there's any place that's better than it, especially a night game. You're talking Sunday night, uh, Monday night football, and the stadium's completely open. I'll take AT&T I'll put it up with anything. Yeah, my only real, my only beef with AT and T, and this, this isn't even from a media perspective. This is just as somebody that's gone to games there. My only real beef with AT and T is just that there's nothing to do in Arlington. They're like, it's just not, it's not a fun place to like go spend the day and wait for a game. I mean, I know they what are you have, doing in Englewood. Well, I didn't go as a fan. Oh, oh, trust no, the location of. The location of SoFi would not be fun as a fan. Like, if LSU ever plays there, I'll be like, oh, this sucks. Like, we got to drive out to BFELA. Like, there's nothing around here. Oh, the uh, location right thing. The location thing, then. If you factor that in, it's not even about the stadium. You know what I'm saying? It's because no, that would be I like just, I think, New Orleans and, and probably Las Vegas would probably be the two best ones. When, when I rate stadiums, and again, like, I think there's a difference between fan and media. But, like, how easy is it to get to? how much stuff is there around and then you get into like the amenities of the stadium like how good are the sight lines how loud does it feel like how like energetic is the crowd i think all of that stuff plays a factor um yeah i was gonna say i haven't been to the i haven't been to allegiant in vegas yet so i don't know how that compares but yeah i i tend to agree i think um when the roof is open for a Cowboys Eagles game, it's hard to beat that atmosphere just in terms of like the pure stadium. I would throw, uh, I mean, Seattle's always going to be good. I really think if you want to talk about overall experience, I, it's tough to beat Minnesota, man. Yeah, it's like, cold. I lo- okay. <laughs> I, whatever. They got tunnels in Minneapolis, bro. You can walk in, you can walk through yeah, the games inside. Yeah, yeah. It's still cold. The stadium's great. It's in the middle of downtown. The atmosphere is wonderful. It's got the glass roof, so you can kind of like see the sun, even though it's a closed stadium. I think, I think well, they tried uh, to do that at SoFi too, though. Yeah, that didn't work. Um, I don't know. So- SoFi is just kind of, it's kind of uh, which a is industrial. Ridic- 
Yeah. It's a ridiculous thing to say about a $5 billion building, but I've been a couple times now and I'm just like, yeah, I mean, I guess. Would you rather be going to the Memorial Stadium still? No, it's a lot better than the LA Coliseum. There I will say that. I like not having to use a porta potty during the middle of the game. <laughs> yeah, it's it's difficult because when you're breaking down all the different things, there's always going to be negatives if you're going into the uh, parking and the getting to the game and all that stuff like that. Because and then the, like the older stadiums are just not the concourses aren't as nice and there's not as many bathrooms and there's just so it's like it's all over the map. Whatever you're talking about, I mean, my favorite place I've ever seen a game, and I don't know if anything will ever touch it is the Rose Bowl, but also there's so bad sight lines that they don't even, like for big games, they don't even sell certain seats like lower down by the field because you can't see anything. It's obviously very, you know, old stadium. So it's like, yeah, you like to go there because of the history of it. You can feel the history when you're in there. It's obviously got a great, you know, setting, you know, with the mountains in the background and usually they're playing at night there. But it also, if you're talking about anything to do around there, or getting in there, getting out of there, all that other stuff. Like you're not going to compare that to any of these newer stadiums. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's how I feel about Lambo. Is like it's so obviously been passed up by yeah. all of these new stadiums. But like, if you told me you could only go to one NFL stadium, that would be the one I would tell you to go to, just because of the history and what it means. And I mean, and and it is like a cool atmosphere and all that type of shit. I feel um, the but- exact same way about. Uh, Lambo, as I do about Notre Dame Stadium. You, when you're walking around it, you can just tell that how they've built up. They've tried to make it modern by building up yeah. around the outside of where this, uh, you know, historic field type thing is, and then the obvious, you know, the things around it. So for either of those, I would suggest anybody to go to either one of them. But if you factor in a lot of the other stuff that new stadiums have, yeah, you of course you can you can nitpick those too. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> During the uh, Cowboys pregame show, by the way, great job to uh, those people over there for uh, for giving us some great pregame coverage. They were showing the screen. It was black. And then they did the pregame intros. And I see the, the Chargers smiley logos all over the screen. So I'm like, oh, OK, I guess they were saving it for the pregame intros. And then they come back from commercial and it's off again. It's like, what? That that's that was very odd. I didn't. I, I did, didn't know what would quite happen there when they could turn them on for the intros and turn it back off. I thought I thought it would have been something they could fix in ten minutes. You know, they could just reboot the reboot the machine and get it back on. But I felt bad for you guys when the t- the Turpin touchdowns happening. I was like, man, that sucks. If you, they couldn't watch that back on the big on the big uh, screen, I guess you could see it on Twitter or whatever. But uh, yeah, yeah and, the, and the, I mean, every good press box has a dozen TVs that have the game running. So, I mean, and that's, it was really not a big deal for me, but I felt bad for people doing live coverage of the game, you know, like Brad Sham and Kyle Yeomans, yes. like the people doing play by play. Right. Uh, and the people down on the sideline who like, do not have, especially like, you know, coaches you're not supposed to have your phone out on the field so coaches need those ribbon boards to have an easy way to tell what's going on uh so yeah i mean that was but even when they're on sometimes you can't see them though that's what i've been told yeah i guess so the cowboys have been to sofi three times now and two of the three they've had an issue with the scoreboard so hopefully somebody gets that sorted out when I was doing some videos for the scoreboard, we couldn't even have glitch effects on the videos to give the impression that the screen was glitching out or anything. So it's, a, it's certainly a concern of the the optics of that is is you don't want people mad. But aside from that, the Cowboys released officially their Arctic, they're calling it, helmet uniform. This past week, I mean, if you've listened to the podcast, you would have known that this was coming. We talked about this, uh, this helmet, but uh, it's white with the normal star. It's really the only difference. It's, uh, it's not the, it's basically the white helmet with the regular sticker on it instead of the, uh, the all blue star sticker, which leads to the question, guys, that I have for you. Cowboys wish list for uniforms. If you could add something to the uniform, maybe you know, a throwback or a, you know, alternate, what would you want that to be, Dave? You know, I mean, honestly, 
I I think this is the perfect compromise what they're doing here because like I'm a I'm a uniform traditionalist like I'm the lame dude that like I love Penn State's uniforms I love the fact that like LSU doesn't really mess with their uniform other than like once every couple years they'll wear something goofy like I like when teams keep it simple and keep it the same so I do enjoy if they're going to do this they're not really reinventing the wheel. Like it's basically their color rush uniform. They already had white pants. They've had them. They've been wearing them for years. They already had the color rush uniforms. And then when they found out they were going to be able to wear white helmets this year, they were like, Oh, let's just add our modern decals to the helmet that we already wear. I think it looks, I think it looks great. It, oh, got some thunder there. Was that yeah, thunder? My whole, my whole house just shook. Damn. Good lo- dude. It's, Crazy times in DFW with all this rain, man. Um, yeah, so I, I love the fact that they were like, oh, we can make this look really clean and and good without really having to reinvent anything. Because like I said, this is all this is all stuff that they already had on hand. They already had all of these stripes and logos and stuff. So this is fine. Um, I can't I don't know, John, if you got something like I can't think of anything I'd really like to see them do like, please, God, don't like some of these fan edits that I see, which no offense to those people, but like black helmets and like like a black helmet with like a royal blue star. Like, I I don't know. I don't see I'm not about to black. No, we don't need. I don't I can do a blue helmet. A navy blue with like the white jerseys would could be a cool contrast. Okay, I that could be cool. I wouldn't hate that. I don't know. What do you? Yeah, think I'm not a, I'm not an, an Oregon Ducks person. So, and I don't think that yeah. Dallas Cowboys should ever be like that anyway. I'm completely as traditional as Dave is. I'm ten times past that. So, like when you are the Dallas Cowboys, the Raiders, Packers, Steelers. Red Sox, Yankees, Tigers, Cubs, Red Sox. You don't touch those uniforms. That just silliness. Don't ever do that. Like I said, I'm I'm glad they're I'm glad they're doing this. I'm glad that they're mixing up a little bit. Like this, what this will be? This will be the first time that they've worn something other than the normal helmet or the throwback helmet ever, right? I like think this so. is. This is like the first major change they've made to their helmet since like 1971. Other than the uh, stripe that they put on uh, last year. Yeah, the centennial stripe, which I, I like still the think centennial is stripe. Cool, I think the they, that should be a, maybe a permanent uh, thing. Well, uh, I think that's you can awesome. blame America's superstitious team. nerds for not doing that <laughs> because they got their asses kicked when they wore it. They've started to phase out the uh, uh, green pants, though. Last year kind of went under the radar. They they tweaked the color to a little more blue, so they're less seafoam than ever, which is good. Still not silver, but they're less seafoam. They are they are less obnoxiously green than they used to be. That's for sure. <laughs> yes, that was bad. So silver pants with the white jerseys would be nice too. You know, I'm telling you right now, that pants. red stripe, if they would have won that game and were like, hey, let's bring it back for another game, and they played well in those, and let's say they started wearing them in the playoffs or something like that, and they went to the Super Bowl, they would be wearing that red stripe quite a bit after that. I mean, I kind of feel like the Giants did that in like the early 2000s when they went to that Super Bowl with like, you know, Kerry Collins and that, they start that during around that season when they, they would start going that, that NY, throwback NY, up. and yeah. then they just kind of yep. kept going with it. Yeah. Really until still, still have it. I just don't think they do that if the team isn't playing well, but if the team plays well, then it's almost like, oh, and let's just well, keep going with that. The, the man who signs the checks is a pretty superstitious guy. So that's part of it. But yeah, I mean, I, I thought, I think the, I think the, red helmet stripe looks badass and it annoys me like every time it gets brought up people are like never again never again i'm like (laughs) it's not the stripes fault that nobody on the team took denver seriously (laughs) like it is it has nothing to do with the i don't know dave we'll we'll argue that another time i do think it i i think it's a it's a fun compromise though i like that you know they're doing something different without like completely changing what looks good so good for them what a memorable preseason game. The Cavate Turpin show was was unbelievable. When's the last time they had a kickoff touchdown? Was it 
Ryan Switzer, I was trying to think the last one I remember was Switzer taking one back, I think, against Washington, was it? Yeah, maybe? Switzer had one in 2017. That I don't remember if that was a kick or a punt, though. I think it was a punt. Tony Pollard, Tony Pollard just had one last season did against he? New Orleans. You're you're right, John. He did. When, when Who did Pollard do that against? Oh, Raiders. It was Raiders. Oh, that's the right. That's right. That's, that's right. right. That's right. Wow, I don't remember that at all. It kind of got overshadowed by uh, some issues in past defense. <laughs> the only thing anybody talks about when that game comes up. Oh, Anthony Brown. Good times. We uh, we got one more game, and then we've got roster cuts, and then we'll get to our roster tier episode. We'll tier the final 53, see where the Cowboys stand. In terms of a top-heavy or a bottom-heavy roster this year, I think it's going to be pretty top-heavy compared to last year. But we shall see. Thank you for listening, subscribing. Make sure you're subscribed on YouTube as we get the season cranked up here. Might do some live streams, game reactions, things like that. As we get closer to the 2022 Dallas Cowboys season. We love you. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next time on About Them Cowboys. Austin Powers.